All right. Welcome to the Market Leader Podcast. We're here with the one, the only, Chris Conley with uh, Desert Winds Painting out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Farmington, right? Two locations? Yes. Nice. And then don't you serve a little bit of Colorado as well? We do, yeah. The uh, the bottom corner of Colorado, like Durango, Bayfield, those kinds of areas. Um, let me think. Where's a place that it's a, a little south of like uh, Telluride? Okay, I've heard of Telluride. It's supposed to be like a really great like vacation spot with like cabins stuff like that. So that sounds yeah, it's like really pretty out there, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. After all visit. of Colorado's pretty, or the majority of it, anyway. That's true. Cool, man. So for those of uh, the few people who may not know who you are, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh. A true um, Conley minute. A true Conley minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, I, I mean, are we talking business, personal? I mean, all the above. We're, we're here. We're hanging out. All the above. Okay. So I guess uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Connolly, and uh I'm 29. I started my business when I was 24. Uh, we broke a million last year, which is awesome. Um, revenue, not profit. Um, <laughs> that would be even better. Um, so, uh, oh gosh, so we've been in business for about five years uh, since 2018. Not quite five years, but coming up on it. And um, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico right now. If you guys know where uh, Breaking Bad was filmed. Um, and uh, before moving to Albuquerque, I lived in Farmington, New Mexico, which is right up in the Four Corners area of New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and um, Arizona. And um, yeah, I mean, I've I've, uh, I've got a great life. I definitely I can't complain about the life that I have for sure. Um, I. That's all I can think of. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm that deep of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not that deep of a guy. Are you kidding me? We get so <laughs> deep sometimes. So you've been a client with us for a stupid long time, and um, like ever since really the kind of the beginning, right? Um, yeah, and I most. think over time, you've you've really kind of become a little bit more of a friend, which is really cool. Um, we've kind of seen you grow together from a single location in Farmington to open up a second location, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we're going to kind of dive into a little bit of, I think your story. Um, oh gosh, the and struggles, maybe, the challenges. Yeah. Cause at, like we talked about earlier, like a lot of people kind of look at you as, um, someone to reach out to if like it, a person to go to, if they need help. Right. Cause it looks like you have a lot of good things going on, which you do. And then you're always like the first one to be like, guys, <laughs> I have just as many issues and stuff like that going on at the same time. And I think that's really important because a lot of people have certain strengths and then other people have weaknesses. And it's like, I think though what's interesting about you guys is you guys are really strong in certain areas that a lot of other people are struggling in. Yeah. Right. And you still have your own struggles, of course. But, of course. Um, and that's the other thing I've noticed is, you know, no matter how big you get or how like, it looks like you're successful. There's always going to be stuff going on. Like you'll never just hit a spot where there's just like, everything is perfect all the time and you can just like basically retire. You know what I mean? Um, does that make sense? 
It does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you hear people talk about passive income and of course mm -hmm. I'm not a billionaire, so, so I, I don't know this for sure, but you know, I don't think that passive income really exists. I think that no matter where you're at in business, I mean, you're always doing some level of work, even if it's different work than what you used to do. Right. Yep. The only way to really get passive with it is to build a machine, cash flow machine, and then install like a CEO over it. And then you are basically a silent partner at that at that point. Even that is not truly passive because you right. still have to make like you still have to get reports and things like that. And make sure everything's going well. You're a, you're a shareholder at that point. Even being a shareholder in companies isn't necessarily truly passive, right? Right. Um, and I know my uncle has owned a bunch of. Um, he's been a landlord for like twenty years. Owned a bunch of houses, and that thing is the furthest thing from passive that you will ever get. You know. There's still going to be issues going on. You're still going to get calls in the middle of the night about their refrigerator going out. Like there's still going to be issues and things like that that come up. Now there's different like levels of involvement, but I think we have a few like really kind of extreme views that we share. A lot of the stuff like we may get into some of them, we may not because some of them we could probably get canceled for. <laughs> no, no, we're fine. <laughs> but I think we're definitely aligned on the uh, the passive income one. But. Yeah. Who really wants, like, why would you want passive income? Yeah, I, you know, right? I, I mean, that's that almost feels like a rhetorical question because I personally, man, I would be so bored. I would be yeah. so bored if I had nothing to do. Like, I honestly, if I had fully passive income, didn't have to work a day in my life, I like... I, I might just go build businesses for fun. I might go paint houses. I, I don't I don't have any idea what I would do, but I definitely wouldn't sit around. You know, maybe twice a year, I will sleep in on a Saturday and I, I'll, I'll wake up at like 1030 and I look over and Reese is in the bed and, and she's, sometimes she's asleep, sometimes she's awake. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll wake up and we'll like make coffee and sit in bed and watch TV, watch movies for a couple of hours. And then it's like one o'clock and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done with my day? What am I doing with my life? This is all a waste of time. Like I, I just, I can't stand it. And so that's why I say maybe twice a year I do that because I think it's good for me to do it twice a year because it reminds me of how much I hate it. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, the concept of burning daylight is something that I didn't, I didn't understand when I was younger, but I definitely get it now. Um, there's a difference between using time and wasting time. And I can't stand to waste time. You know, even if we're getting ready to go somewhere, we were getting ready to, to go out to dinner last night uh, to this fondue place. And um, as we're getting ready to go, I'm like loading the dishwasher. Yeah, because I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to waste a single second of the day if I can help it. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like uh, sometimes Aaron would tell me, like, "Hey, we're getting ready to go," and like I know that that means we're getting ready to go in like 15 minutes, and not like right now, right? She needs to be told, like, "Hey, we're going like right now, girls," or else she's like takes her her sweet time to do a lot of stuff. But like me, I'll get everything around to go and then go do something else. So it only takes me like 15 seconds to grab everything and walk out the door. Right. Yeah. Just like this kind of making things efficient. But have you ever taken a vacation, like a true one, like a week or two or longer? Um, 
<laughs> See, most people are like, of course. And me and you are like, ah. Uh. <laughs> you know, I think that, so my first year in business, I actually went to Hawaii with Risa. And I didn't, I didn't not work while we were there by any means. <laughs> I did a lot of work over the phone. And it was actually, it was a blessing for me because it made me realize how much I can get done from a distance. Yeah. Like, whereas before that I had a hard time, like even thinking about, I I remember when I first started, when I first started, I was painting houses myself and there was like that transition to each next step where like the first step was like, if I'm not on site, like this customer is not going to be happy. And so I remember the first time I had to tell the customer, like, hey, I'm not going to be on site, but like my helper is going to be here and I've got to go take care of this. I'll be back in like two hours maximum. And they were just like, oh, OK, Th- thanks for letting me know. Like they they couldn't have cared less. And it was the same thing, like with each progression, as I got further and further away from the project, it felt unnatural. And I, I was worried that the customer was going to be more upset than they were. I mean, they weren't upset at all. They didn't. He didn't care as long as their their house got painted the way they expected it to and their experience was good um they couldn't have cared less whether or not i was there and um yeah it was just it was wild i mean you get more comfortable with it as time goes on of course and the more you do it the further the further away you get from it but um it was just each time i had to take that step it was it, it was really um it gave me a lot of clarity as to like, I mean, it, it made me, it, the, the path became a lot more clear. Right. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I've heard this and I believe this, that the true test of whether or not your systems and your team are set up correctly is if you can go on a, I think a lot of people use like a one month time period. If you can disappear for a month and have everything not fall apart, that's like, that means you kind of have things together. What do you think about that? I think that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think about my Farmington location and mm-hmm. we have issues. <laughs> definitely. We definitely have issues. You know, I mean, you've been part of the journey. I've, I've gone through um, production managers in the past year, like just they're dry. They just dropped like flies. Um, Why do you think that is? I think that it was probably, it was a mixture of things. So when I first, when I first moved down here, I ended up promoting somebody who was not ready for the promotion, wasn't a right fit for the job. Um, but I was just in a hurry to get it filled. Mm-hmm. And so, so I ended up hiring somebody who wasn't right for the job and he just, he didn't do well. Um, and I think that another part of it was, you know, I was so busy with, trying to start a second location and also trying to do things from a distance that it was like, I mean, at the time I was, I was driving up to Farmington every week, um, sometimes twice a week. And I mean, it's not super far, it's only a three hour drive, but you know, when you have to make the drive there and back, I mean, that's, that's six hours out of your day twice a week. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I just wasn't making the appropriate time to make sure that he was properly trained. And even if I had, I don't, I just don't think he was the right fit for the position. And so I think I had kind of this clouded judgment of, I had this mindset that you can just drop anybody into any position and, and anyone can be successful. And that's just not true. You know, not everybody is cut out to, to do everything. I mean, I can't imagine being, I, I, when I was in high school, I could run pretty fast and I could jump pretty high. Um, but I can't imagine being like a pro basketball player or like 
running track like professionally. I don't even know if that's a thing. I'm sure it is. Sorry, professional track runners. <laughs> um, but you, you know, I, I can't imagine doing those things. I've got short little legs. I'm not a tall guy. I'm like I'm five nine on a good day. Um, so like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, we're the same I mean, height, I think. Right. I mean, you can be the best you can be at something and still not be as good as it needs to be done. You know, not everything is made for everyone. And yeah. I, something that I, something that I often say um, to my to my production managers is when they, they, you know, they all have a tendency to think that they can paint a house better than the painters. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask them, "Am I allowed? To, am I allowed to swear on the podcast?" Sure, we're, we're gonna um, edit it. Yeah. Nice. So I would I would ask <laughs> them, like, what the fuck makes you better than them? Yeah, uh, and if you are better than them, then why are why are you managing and why aren't you painting? Right, that's a different mindset. Which is usually the mindset is you become a painter, you get really good at painting, and then you become a manager. Yeah, when not all great painters are good managers, and great managers may not be great painters. Right. Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't know if you're live streaming this or if or if my sales rep in Farmington is watching this, but he was a terrible painter. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll see it, and I. And, but he knows. He knows that he's a great sales rep, but he he was not a good painter. I mean, he had, don't get me wrong. He wasn't like the worst painter on earth or anything like that. But it wasn't where he fit best. Mm-hmm. That's so, interesting. Yeah. So you're, it changed in terms of how you. So where they fit best, that becomes the the thing. You used to think that you could put anyone anywhere, and as long as they had some training and like some stuff there, which you, you identified you didn't necessarily do a great job with that first one, that they'd right. be fine. But now it's actually like if they can fit in there and realizing good painters can't be good managers always and good managers aren't necessarily great painters. Where are you guys at with it now? We So we have a, a production manager in place now who actually used to be doing media for us and he really wanted the position. Oh, Mondo's in. Yeah. Mondo, Mondo's okay. in. Yeah. And I was kind of iffy about it at first. Um, if I'm being honest, you know, I, I, I told Mondo that even that I was iffy about it, I ended up sitting down and having dinner with him. And I was like, you know, I realized that over the past year, you're the only one that I haven't built like this actual personal relationship with. And I have no fucking idea who you are. (laughs) And you've been with them for a year. Let's fix that. Um, because everyone, like everyone on the team was like, yeah, Mondo would be great at this. And you seem to really want it, but like, I don't see that. And I don't mean that as a personal, like, it's not a stab at you. I just, if you're going to be good at it, why don't I see that? Now, what were you looking for that you didn't see? You know, I think, I, I'm not sure. Is it kind of like sure. that, that vibe that you get from project managers where it feels like they're on top of stuff and like organized and things like that? Or is it? Was it a vibe or was it skill sets? Was it communication? What was it? I think it was a prior experience, I think was the big one. Um, He doesn't have experience in contracting at all. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have experience in construction. I mean, the only experience he has is that is, excuse me, what he's gotten with us. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's not even like being on site painting. That's being on site, seeing people paint and and I think fortunately that did give him enough of a baseline. He knows what a good paint job is supposed to look like. Because he's watched people do because it enough and seen yeah. when issues have come out, things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that knowing what it's supposed to look like is more important than knowing what needs to be done or how it needs to be done. You know, I think that knowing what the end result should look like is the most important thing. Um, my, uh, you know, my brother is our production manager here in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And the first few projects, he had no idea what to look for. I remember we would have, you know, our painters would go out, they would paint the house and then he would come by and like, he would go and look at it and he would be like, yeah, everything looks good. And then he would call me and I would say, okay, well, I'm going to come take a look at it too, just to make sure, um, you know, until you, until you really get the hang of this. And I would just see a million things that I'm like, no, no, this is unacceptable. This can't fly this. You know what I mean? Like all of these things that he just was looking right past. Um, and I think that kind of goes to show that even homeowners are not going to see everything that you see. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I, I think it's important for I, quality obviously is important, but like you have this baseline where it's like, this is what you're, this is what the customer is going to see. This is what you're going to see, you yeah. know, and, and maybe this is the perfect line, but it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be as high as it can be above this line within a reasonable time frame. You know, because if you're breaking the bank to make it perfect, well, then nobody's winning. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the funny thing that I found is the longer amount of time that you spend working on a project, the more people will start to notice things that are not perfect. And so yeah, it's all that makes sense. The more time you spend, the more perfect it has to be. Mm-hmm. No, that definitely makes sense. So your brother, who's your project manager on Albuquerque, you said he didn't necessarily have the eye, at least in the beginning. Were you able right. to train that into him? Was it through exposure? Where is he at? Is he doing better now? He is I'm doing assuming? much better now. Yeah, absolutely. I Let me think. How long did it take? I want to say it maybe took a month and a half or so of consistent projects um, to get him to be exactly where he needed to be. Um, he definitely sees it now. I don't, as far as like completed projects i don't go on site at all anymore Mm -hmm. now is that just exposure or is that continuous like you check it i come in afterwards check it with you you check it i come in afterwards check it with you over and over again it was a little bit of both um yeah so we we didn't i didn't do every project um for that for that full month and a half i think it was really just the projects that kind of stuck out um the ones that are like okay this one probably needs to be inspected a little more closely this one does you know, if you're like repainting a house the same color it already is, I mean, that like you don't need to inspect it as closely um, because even if there are like minor things, they're just, they're going to blend in. You know what I mean? Um, and so those are the kind of things that like I would let him inspect it on his own. Um, mm-hmm. But I, past a certain point, he, uh, he just kind of got it. You know, I would go in and look at everything and I'm like, okay, everything looks good. Like, it looks like you've got this under control. So at that month and a half point, did you actually, now he's your brother, so that's one thing, but let's say he wasn't your brother, right? At that point, would you be like, okay, you've got it now, which means now if you miss things afterwards, that counts against you, right? Was that communicated to him that like, hey, you're, you're legit now, like you're actually gonna be held accountable to missing things? as a project manager. Does that uh, make sense? Well, so I think if he weren't my brother, I would have had that talk with him, um, mm-hmm. after, after that point in time. 
Um, but because he was my brother, we, we kind of had that conversation at the very beginning. Um, so it was right. like, I'm going to show you what you need to look for. And like, if you're missing stuff, like, you know, I told you what you needed to look for. So yeah. not going easy on you, bro. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost holding him to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Um, which is good because I mean, our customers love us in Albuquerque. So, um, I mean, now, how got, do you know that? Well, we, if we weren't having issues with Google, which we are, <laughs> we know that based on Google reviews. Um, but mm-hmm. the customers are telling us, you know, we, we are getting uh, like, he'll get text messages from customers saying like, yeah, Sergio and Alex did such a great job. Like I'll definitely hire you guys again. Um, you know, stuff, stuff like that. Are you so, guys doing, so are you guys like taking that and like screenshotting it and taking it for, you know, asking them to write a review afterwards, things like that. But you've kind of, you've found that they're happy with it based on just feedback you're receiving. Based on feedback we're receiving. Yeah. And and we are asking them for reviews. It's kind of hit and miss. We're not sure which ones are coming through as reviews or which ones are getting blocked by Google. I've talked to some other people and there are other people even here locally that are kind of having issues with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Google just like filtering out reviews. Um, for no good reason. And I, I think I actually mentioned to you, like our Google reviews in Farmington dropped by like 20. We like lost like 20 reviews or something, um, which is wild. Yes. Yeah. We've saw that. Obviously we're trying to do that with deal with that with you. Yeah. Um, but we, you're not the only one we've seen this with. We've seen a lot of people where their Google reviews, just people are writing it and then they're not showing up. And then you're like, it's really awkward. You're like, did you actually write it? And then they send you like a screenshot of it and they can see it, but you can't. Right. And it's a pretty regular thing. Um, uh, the best thing I think you can do is, is reach out to Google. Obviously we are doing that. Uh, but then we believe it's because of a flagging system. And there's a couple, like there's so many things that could be happening. We talked about if it's an auto flagging system, it could be a competitor that's going through and flagging all of your reviews. And well, something you know know, it could be anything yeah you know it definitely could and i want i did wonder if that were the case and of course i would never go picking apart my competitors reviews um just to hurt them but i did i did have one competitor specifically that uh he very clearly left himself a couple of reviews um yeah we (laughs) see that all the time by name um so i i hopped in um under a different (laughs) account so like it wasn't it wasn't my business account it was like my personal account i hopped in and uh I did flag those reviews just to see like, is Google going to take these down and they're still up as far as I know for that competitor. So I don't know if it's as simple as just flagging them either. Well, maybe if it's flagged, the, the algorithm may do like a, a pass through. And if it sees something that it doesn't like, it may take it down just because it's flagged doesn't necessarily mean it will, which is probably why all your reviews, not all your reviews are gone. Right, but but also that could just be one thing. It may not be that at all. It may just be the auto system. Looks like we actually got a uh, because we are live. Um, by the way, if you guys are asking questions in the comments below, um, I will grab my phone here in a few minutes and bring that out so we can actually look, look through some questions. Um, Dan handed me his phone here though. Richard said for Chris, um, so I was a couple minutes ago. How did you first start marketing to generate real leads? I am from California, which Facebook itself was carrying me easy. And now I'm in Arizona and it's completely different. Um, so a lot to dive in there, Richard, if you're still here, here go Dan. So he was in California. It looks like he moved to Arizona. He used to be driving all of his leads from Facebook, which he said was easy. And now apparently it's not so easy. Now we actually do run Facebook ads in Arizona and I, we have some things on it, but 
Um, Chris, how are you guys generating leads <laughs> for uh, two locations? Mostly Facebook. So it is mostly Facebook. We're doing um, a little bit of uh, Angie's List as well. Not Angie's List, Angie Leads, I'm sorry. Used to be Home Advisor. Um, we, so we do run Craft Jack and Thumbtack as well and Porch. But we don't get very much from Craft Jack or Thumbtack or Porch. I've heard lots of other people say that they get a ton. Um, actually, we do Painter Choice as well. Um, but we just don't. I, I think it might be the locations. We just don't get a ton of leads from those sources. But we do get a lot from Facebook. We get a lot from Angie. And um, we do some door-to-door as well. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like, starting your business goes... I, it kind of depends on you know where you're at in business, how many employees you have, what what exactly you're doing. Of course, I you know I don't have the full context here, but if I were to start over again, um, I would do one of two things. I would either jump into Facebook ads um, with a reputable partner, of course, um, you know, like like Ransom Digital, um, because if I, if you jump in and you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to end up dumping money into Facebook, and you're not going to see any results. Because prior to starting with uh, with Ransom, we actually did do that. We spent quite a bit of money with Facebook and got absolutely nothing out of it. Um, and like there came a point where I was like, I'm not even doing this for leads. I'm doing this just so that people are seeing our name on Facebook. Like that was, <laughs> that was why I was doing it. Um, and I didn't realize how effective Facebook Facebook could be for lead gen um, until I until I signed on with Ransom. Um, but I would, I would say that if you have a reputable, reputable partner, um, and if not, if it's just you and you like, don't work with a marketing company, then I would say door to door is definitely the way to go. Um, you know, it's definitely kind of people, people are iffy about door to door, but, um, it definitely works. I actually, uh, before starting my business, when I was 18, I went door to door selling magazine subscriptions all over the country. And it would blow you away how many people buy magazine subscriptions. And this wasn't like back in the 80s. I'm 29. So this was like, this was 11 years ago. Um, And I don't know about you guys, but I didn't read magazines 11 years ago. And I didn't know anybody who did. So like, you know, the world wasn't completely different 11 years. I mean, it, it was, but it's like magazines were already irrelevant 11 years ago. And right. people were still buying them. That was like um, 2012, right? That was like math correct? That 2012, was 2011. 2011. Yeah. Well, I, I guess so 12 years ago. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I'll be, I'll be 30 this year. But um, yeah, I mean, so I sold, I, I knocked doors from uh, anywhere from eight to 10 hours a day. And I sold on the spot an average of 13 subscriptions a day. So, How much did you make off of those? I made between 130 and 150 dollars cash a day, so not bad for an 18 year old 11 years ago. Um, I mean, I yeah. wasn't like making bank or anything, but it was it was good money. I mean, got stranded a couple times in there as well, so that was that was fun. But mm-hmm. um, but I mean, as far as like fundamentally um, reaching people, and at some point, like with with that, it's just a numbers game. You have to make sure you're knocking the right neighborhoods. It has to be very intentional and don't skip houses. Don't, don't skip, skip houses. houses. Don't Yeah. Don't skip houses. Find the neighborhood and don't skip houses. Mm-hmm. I, I remember when I was doing that, I used to like, you have these, um, 
uh, almost like superstitious things. You're like, oh, they've got a boat. They're going to buy one. They've got a yellow car. I remember that was a big one. People would say, they've got a yellow car, and nobody buys a yellow car. You're only sold a yellow car. So it was like, if you're sold a yellow car, <laughs> you're going to buy magazines. You buy a magazine subscription today. Um, and the average subscription price was like, I think it was like $70. The cheapest mm-hmm. one was like $53. And um, I mean, to put that into perspective, just imagine some stranger coming to your door and you give them $50 to receive nothing today. Right. Like if they're willing to buy magazine subscriptions, even 11 years ago, like you can definitely get painting leads going door to door. Um, and, and more than that, people like, you don't have to shove it down their throat. It's a numbers game. If people don't want it, move on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty simple. Yeah. I would super agree with that. I would think if you're, especially if you're just starting out, guerrilla marketing is going to be your number one. Um, heck it, it will remain your number one as long as you allow it to. Um, it just works so well. Guerrilla marketing, of course, is going to include a lot of things. It's going to be your yard signs. It's going to be door-to-door marketing. It's going to be your um, door hangers or flyers, things like that. Um, What I think a lot of people miss out with that stuff is the volume you have to do in order to get the result. So like going door-to-door an hour a day isn't going to get you anywhere. Putting out 200 flyers isn't going to get you anywhere, right? Um, right. Even Alex Hermosi has talked about this story where he, when he owned his gym, he had a mentor tell him um, that he needs, he needed to do, he just opened up a new gym and he needed to go do flyers to do it. So he went out and he handed out like 300 flyers in the day and, you know, he was feeling down cause he didn't get a single thing from it. Um, and he went to his mentor and was like, you know, I did the door, the flyer thing. It's not working. And his mentor was like, how many did you put out? And he was like 300. And he was like, we don't even test with under 5,000. Like we test with 5,000 flyers. And so like he, it just clicked for him. Oh, volume. And the thing with guerrilla marketing, if you're not going to do advertising, anything like that, the trick is the volume. You can't just knock doors an hour or two or even four hours. It's got to be so much, right? Um, We know from direct mail, we're partnering with dope. So we're, we're learning a lot about direct mail, what successful companies are doing with it. Doing one burst of EDDM marketing, or one burst of, of sending out whatever it may be, a flyer or a door hanger or something like that, isn't going to get you anything. It's the consistent stuff going out. The companies that are doing really well off direct mail are doing hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail. Not 2,000 one month and didn't see anything from it. Like They're doing it on a constant, all-the-time basis. Direct mail is probably the most expensive of all, of all the guerrilla marketing you can do. But the guerrilla marketing specifically is a stuff that takes more time than it does money. So this is specifically is going to be your door knocking. It's going to be your door hangers, which I really love. Um, bring that in with the door mar- the door to door, and you're you're even better off. But right. you can hire like even like kids that don't want to do door knocking and just have them hit the entire neighborhood with door hangers, right? And that would be okay too. Um, you can probably hit more neighborhoods and then be more targeted with door to door. If you like the owners are going to actually do the door to door. That's, that's almost what I would do. Then in with that is the social media element. If when you get to the point where you can spend 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 a day on advertising, that's not even one home advisor lead. Home advisor leads right now are between 120 and $180 a piece, a piece, which is insanely high. 
It's because all they do is arbitrage Google Ads, which is the most expensive type of digital marketing. Right? It's the most competitive, and they are the highest bidder. Plus, yeah. you're paying 180 bucks for one lead that's also going to five other people. Right? Or you can go get much, much, much cheaper leads off of Facebook. Facebook, though, requires now more than ever much better uh, sales systems connected with it. Yeah. If, if your people, if you are not calling leads within five minutes, don't even bother. Right? If you have never worked with a cold lead before, someone who isn't a referral, and you have a hard time selling anyone who hasn't known you before, because that's another thing we kind of can touch on is a lot of guys who think that they're really good at great at sales when they're getting everything from referrals, and then they get their first few leads from online or Google Ads, Facebook Ads, something like that, and they, they just get their butt handed to them, right? And they realize they're not as good at sales as they thought they were. And they're losing to guys like Chris over here. We haven't even gotten into your sales stuff yet, which is just insane. Love to dive into that a little bit going forward. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, if you're just getting started, if it were me, I would go right into guerrilla marketing. I would put up, um, I know this from Brandon out of Asheville. Uh, in his first year when he was su still sub one million, they pulled in a tremendous amount of work from just yard signs on corners. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, where he was, that worked extremely well because they're out in the mountains and you can't like you can't see like very far. And so there's a lot of signage that happened on corners of intersections there because billboards weren't a bigger thing. And he got quite a few jobs from yard signs out there, especially in older populations, things like that. But then it works even better if you can implement a digital marketing aspect to it, your yard signs and your door-to-door -door and your your um, door hangers will work better if you are also running Facebook. Like basically right. if you're running Facebook, it'll make everything better. And you don't need to run a ton, right? If you just need a lead a day, run Facebook at 50 bucks a day. You're going to be good to go. Um, obviously, if you're working with someone who knows what they're doing, if they don't know what they're doing, it could be a big money pit, right? We've seen that over and over again. Um, and I'd like to interject here, but something else sure. that like is worth keeping in mind is it, it's like Jake was saying, if you can't, if you can't convert those leads into estimates and if you can't convert those estimates into sales, definitely don't go spending money on Facebook. Yeah. Um, because if you just, if you, if your conversion rate is too low, I mean, you'll just end up dumping money into it and not getting anything out of it. And the, I mean, the best marketer on the planet. Mm -hmm. Which, from my experience, is Jake. But, but you know, you can't. But I mean, you know, you can work with the best marketer on the planet and still not see results if you're not able to convert those into sales. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, and I think a lot of guys are finding that out the hard way. They're paying really expensive lessons to figure out that. I think I even made a Facebook post on this once, and it got quite a bit of traction. Um, oftentimes when a company that isn't used to advertising begins putting money into advertising, the first thing that they notice is not a bunch of leads. The first thing that they notice is all of the cracks in all of the other parts of their business. They realize that the way that they're answering the phone sucks. They're realizing that their sales sucks. They're realizing all these other parts of their business that have holes, like a leaky bucket. And Facebook is just really great at bringing water into a bucket, but if the bucket is super leaky, you're not going to be able to like the ROI isn't going to be there because all of it's falling out the cracks, right. right? We've seen this firsthand before we had a call center, before we handled appointment booking. Um, I'm, I'm going to name him because I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but Brian Shaver, we know him. We do. Um, like they Brian. were, yeah, he's really great. I'm sure he wouldn't mind if we brought this uh, up, but they were at like an 18 to 20% conversion rate. 
right? So 80% of the leads coming in were not turning into estimates. We then brought in, we beta tested, a, uh, they were one of the first ones we beta tested on, an appointment setter who is trained by us, handled within CRM, they're calling out within five minutes with scripts, training, the person had cold calling experience from North America, right? All that good stuff. And their conversion rate in the first week went to 89%. That's what's up. That means all we did was change one part. We, we filled one hole in the bucket and we quadrupled their ROI. Nice. You know what I mean? And we didn't even touch anything with the ads. Does that make sense? So it's like there's, there's so many other things that go in with it. It's the full system itself, that sales system that right. needs to be put into place. If you're not sure if you're ready to run Facebook, Right? Are you able to actually deliver on those few metrics and make sure that those things are good? Now we actually have those metrics in, and we'll cover these, and then we'll kind of dive into the next thing here. By the way, if you're watching, feel free to uh, throw a comment in there if you have a question, and we'll we'll bring it up. I have a way to read those now. Yeah, and, and real quick before we move on, I actually wanted to kind of comment on. I like that you said. I don't remember exactly how you worded it, but you talked about you. You know, you can't just go out and do something for two seconds and then say this isn't working. It just doesn't work like that. That's like if you were to if you were to go and do ten push-ups, and say, "Well, why am I not completely ripped yet?" You know, it just doesn't work like that. It takes I, not not only the quantity, but it also takes. I mean, the the uh, the repetition. You know, mm -hmm. if you go out and you're knocking on doors, the longer you do it, the more you're like more likely you are to see results. But the more frequently you do it, you're going to get better at it as you go as well. It's going to feel more natural to you. You're going to be able to be a lot more authentic in your delivery of whatever script you're using, if you're using a script. Um, and uh, it just it really makes a difference to be able to do something over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Um, let's be super clear. Literally all advertising works. Every single piece of advertising works, all of them. Now, lead aggregators, not all lead aggregators work, right? Depending on where you are. Craftjack may be great, networks may be great, depending on location. But in terms of channels and avenues, all advertising works. The only difference between them is the amount of volume needed to see it gain traction, the amount of money needed to see it gain traction, and then of course the um, the arbitrage level, which is is it overpriced or underpriced, right? TV is starting to come down, but TV is still overpriced for the amount of of eyeballs you're going to reach right? Uh, Google ads are becoming somewhat overpriced because so many people are going on to them because of the pandemic happened. Because door-to-door -door teams all got shut down during the pandemic, everyone switched to Google ads. Um, Facebook is getting more and more expensive, but it's still significantly underpriced. Um, we've had clients who get pitched from TV uh, stations and commercials, things like that, and, and they're looked at impressions, things like that. And the amount of money that they're expected to spend to hit 100,000 impressions is absolutely crazy right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to hit uh, 120,000 impressions one time, right? Um, like collective, like, okay, we had 20,000 people right. watch this on the local station and they hit it a couple times. Whereas with Facebook, right, you can hit the same number for a fraction of the cost. It's just then figuring out each channel has a different difficulty level. So all advertising works. It's a difference of how difficult is it to get it working? How much money does it take? How much volume does it take? How much time does it take? How much skill does it take? Um, like you can't run TV ads by yourself. You have to go through somebody, right? right. Um, Facebook and stuff like that, you can actually run yourself. But the skill, the skill ceiling on Facebook is much higher than what people think it is. 
Um, it's not as straightforward as just a tool that you, oh, I tried the Facebook thing, it didn't work. It's like, no, you haven't. You haven't even tried Facebook until you've run 30 different creatives in a single month. And you spent a significant amount of money, right? You haven't even tried it yet. You haven't even seen if you can or not. It's like what you're saying, door to door. Uh, it's it's a much lower skill ceiling. There is a little bit more like there's there is a wiggle room. You can have a good good door to door person, a bad door to door person, right? But it's a much smaller skill ceiling because there's not as many things in there. It's really just the script and the sales ability of the person. But you can figure out if that works pretty quickly or not, right? Like you can go out and get immediate feedback whether it's working or not. You hit it the right neighborhood, the right script, and you're going to immediately get feedback from it. Yard signs, super, super cheap. Anyone can do it, right? It's just a little bit harder to see if it's working because you have to work off of tracking and asking people whether they're hearing about you. Right. Let's go ahead and move on from here. Did you have any thoughts about that stuff? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I think all that sounds pretty on point. Um, we, don't, we don't do a ton of yard signs. We need to be better about that. I think we would, we would see more, more, uh, more people calling in if we had, if we did do yard, yard signs consi- consistently. Um, but I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Another thing you can do is offer a little bit of a rebate or something like that. If they're okay with you leaving the yard sign out for longer. Yeah. Right. So you put in the contract, we're going to have a yard sign out in front of your yard as long as we're there. Some people even just put in, we're going to leave it out there for two more months, just in the contract itself. Other people will incentivize them to leave it out there for a couple months. Right. You can kind of do that however you want to ethically, however you want to. But I definitely believe that that's really important to get in and just have a presence in the neighborhood. And then what we can do those really mix everything together. You have the online going, your yard signs. There's something about it. They see you online and then they see your yard sign and it just clicks in their brain. So you've heard the thing, right? Someone needs to see you 11 times in order to like, to remember your brand, right? Right. What people don't know is that doesn't mean seeing one billboard 11 times. That means seeing you in 11 different places. And it starts to build the idea subconsciously that you are a strong, big brand. If they see you in several different places. So having a yard sign, seeing you there is one. Seeing you on Facebook is another one, right? Seeing you a different ad on Facebook could actually be counted as another one, in uh, image versus a, a video. Then right. seeing your, your door-to-door person, seeing a, a yard sign or a, a, a door hanger, something like that. All of those count towards those things. So having those things definitely are good, but figure out where you want it to be at, which one you want to be your main lead generation source, which ones are mostly for brand awareness, and then move forward. Um, right. Let's dive into, because I think it's a natural segue. Let's dive into sales a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. About sales. I know this, um, but when people hear this, they just don't believe you, right? So what don't. are you guys, what's your sales rate? And then what is, how much are you selling jobs for right now? So I'm not sure on my exact sales rate at the moment, but it tends to fluctuate between 60 and 80%. Um, our sales rep in Farmington, his sales rate fluctuates a little bit as well. Um, I think it tends to sit around like 50, 60%, give or take, but I've seen his sales rate upwards of 70, 75% as well. So um, that's, it's definitely possible to have those high sales rates. Um, and we charge $120 an hour. So it's, yeah, it, it definitely is not. And actually, you know, something, Jake, that I hadn't mentioned prior to this was I have had two people in the past week 
tell me that they were surprised by how low our price was. That's crazy. Is there something going on? Like, are you just not putting in very many hours? You know what I mean? Well, the thing is, our, our hours are based on, so they're based on set timed competencies for how long it actually takes to get things done. Mm-hmm. And then they're also marked up to account for drive time, shop time, time spent at the paint store. Like, I mean, we have very in-depth pricing. So it's not, I mean, there's nothing arbitrary about it. We're charging what it takes to get it done. And we're charging $120 an hour. And people are, most people are paying it. And some people even think it's low. I, I now, I, now I don't hear that one all the time, but I did hear it twice in the past week. So I thought I would mention it because I was like, Wow. When the first one told me, I was like, wait, what? And then the second one told me, and I was like, get the fuck out of here. No. (laughs) (laughs) That just doesn't make any sense. Um, But that's that's what the customers are telling me. Um, Or maybe it's, it's, I don't know, maybe it's how we presented ourselves and they just expected it to cost more based on what they saw of us. I mean, that that could be part of it too. I don't know. Do you know uh-huh. where you stand compared to your competitors? Are you like significantly higher? I don't think we're significantly higher. I think we're on, on the higher end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Farmington, we are probably the highest or, or okay. close. We are definitely in the top two or three for sure, price-wise. Um, in Albuquerque, I don't know compared to everyone else. Um, but I know that we compete against a lot of like the the craftsman type guys that like, Oh, this is, this is the kind of stuff that's going to get us canceled here. The craftsman type guys that (laughs) overvalue their skills. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you are a great painter and you go out and you're charging $120 an hour and then you show up the next day to paint their house, you're overcharging them. Uh, because I painting just isn't a $120 an hour skill. Um, uh, you know, running a business, it costs it costs one hundred twenty dollars an hour to run a business, and the experience that you're able to give someone when you're running a business and you have a team and you're you know you have all these other things that you add into the experience. Like we'll we'll hire a professional window cleaner to come in and clean the windows when we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we offer color consultation. We have warranties. We offer our employees uh, one hour per thirteen hours worked of PTO. Um, which is not anything completely outrageous, but it's above average for the industry. Um, and so like, if I were to go out and charge someone even, I mean, honestly, as a painter, I can't imagine making more than $30 an hour, which is about what our painters average. You know, we, we pay our painters well. Um, and, and of course they're incentivized to move quickly and do a good job and, and stuff, but um, they make an average of 28 to $32 an hour and we're charging $120 an hour to make that happen and also give them PTO and make sure they, you know, some of them have take home vehicles. Um, like we, we try to treat our people well. Yeah. You have a lot of benefits. We know that now, are you just in like a really, really high? Cause I know the first thing people are going to think, Oh, like you must be in a really high, um, cost living place, right? New York or LA or something like that, where you are able to get away with that much cash. But like, that's not going to fly everywhere, right? Are you get, are you just in like a really really high um, cost of living place in order to charge those? I don't think so. You know, I'm not exactly sure to be honest, but I, I don't mm-hmm. think so. I mean, a dozen eggs is <laughs> it's five bucks or less. <laughs> How much is gas where you are? Uh, 
Oh gosh, that's. Uh, do you know this? <laughs> I don't even know what it is here. <laughs> I know this is. These are the kinds of things that make people think you're completely out of touch. With I know, I know. <laughs> it's so true. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh shit! I want to say, I could be way wrong. I want to say it's like three eighty. Okay. Something yeah. Like See, this is where I wish I had like a Jamie. Be like, Jamie, pull that up. Like, <laughs> I know, right? What's what's gas in Albuquerque right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, seriously. Yeah, I think that's just like a lot of excuses start coming out in terms of like, okay, well, that's great. Like, there's so many guys. I think the average cl- like person that we talk to is r- charging around sixty to eighty dollars, which and is you guys are at one hundred and twenty, right? And yeah. it's like, how in the world are you getting away with that? And it's like, well, I think there's a lot of other things that come in place with it. But what is what is your margin on that? Fifty percent, fifty percent gross. Yeah, so it's like your the expenditure is still there, and that's the thing is you have employees and you have subs, but you have a lot of benefits for the employees that are bringing a lot of their like the burden is much higher on, on a per employee basis. Do you know how much burden it is on per employee? So they're being paid twenty eight thirty. Now is that including burden and in, in benefits? Do you know what that number is? I don't know the number exactly offhand, um, but I know that we're looking at like our payroll tax is about 2% of total revenue. Um, our PTO is about 2% of total revenue. Um, our labor uh, for our employees is 20 to 24%. So, I mean, that kind of gives you a general idea. And then of course there are other things that we account for in, in those expenses as well. Um, you know, we try to keep, I know that a lot of people would consider gas to be like an overhead thing, um, but we try to keep like, like the fuel that we're spending to get to and from the job site and make that happen. I mean, we consider that to be cost of goods sold. So that's, Hmm. we consider that in the 50% of producing the work. Yeah. So like, I I know that because I've I've seen a lot of people's business plans, things like that now, and they, everyone lumps in gas with overhead. So there's several things that a lot of people are lumping in with overhead that you're actually bringing down into cost of goods sold. So it's safe to say that if you were operating off the same accounting way that they were your profit if they were doing it would actually be a little bit higher than what they're probably seeing even at a lower cost yeah yeah that makes sense it does it does and i i think you know if i didn't have the team in place that i have um and you know wasn't concerned with paying them well and wasn't concerned with doing all of these things for for the guys that i have i mean our profit like our net profit take home would just be fucking outrageous yeah. Um, but that, that doesn't, I mean, it does interest me, of course, you don't start a business to be broke, but, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's not, that's not the whole purpose of, of raising the price. You know, the, like my, my intent of raising the price is so that we can deliver a better experience to our customers so we can give better things to our employees, whether that's our office staff or painters, um, you know, ideally it should be it should be the best job that anyone in our company has ever had. And if it's not, then I'm not doing it right. You know, our customers, if our customers hire us and they're not happy with the experience, then we didn't do it right. So Uh, I, I really like this because what you did is you basically built, it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people do where they set the pricing first and then they figure out how to fulfill within the pricing. Right. And then they'd figure out how to get people on board to help fulfill within that pricing. You kind of went the opposite, which was built 
a no-brainer for employee job where you're going to get the best people. And then you set your price based on whatever you had to sell it at in order to make like make margin off of those costs. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, and then absolutely. that determines your price. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone has heard the phrase dress for the job you want, not the job you have. It's the mm. same thing. It is. It's the same concept. Um, price for the business you want, not the business you have. So let's get into the question I know everyone's thinking. How in the world are you able to sell at 120 an hour? Because that's that's the first thing. Okay, man, if I you know I've got an idea, a dream of a company that I want to have where I'm people have benefits. You know, I'm paying people what they're worth. I'm the most competitive paying in town. Are you guys the highest payers of painters in town? Um, or are you guys or are you guys more competitive because you have so many benefits? I think we are maybe slightly above average. Um, not not a ton. Um, but we definitely have more benefits. Mm-hmm. The benefits is like, yeah, hands down, we have the best benefits. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, as far as how we're able to sell at higher higher sales rates, uh, honestly, I think it's just authenticity. You know, we go in, <laughs> I knew it was going to be something like that. Yeah, we, well, yeah. <laughs> we go in, we're there to help the customer. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've told you about cases where like I'll go in mm-hmm. And I look at someone's cabinets and I'm like, dude, why do you want to paint these? Like they, they look fantastic. Like this is, I, and, and you know, and I, I've talked people out of work. Um, and, and, and of course I don't go into every estimate trying to talk people out of work. That would just be stupid. But, mm-hmm. um, but it, it really just depends on what is the best thing for the customer. Right. Uh, you go in trying to help them. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the whole talk about mindset is so overplayed, but I, I remember telling, uh, my, my estimator in Farmington at one point, I can't imagine going to an estimate and not selling it. That doesn't mean it never happens, but like when it happens, that's the surprise. The surprise isn't, Oh, I can't believe I sold that. It's, I can't believe I didn't sell that. I can't mm-hmm. believe they didn't hire us. And when I'm not going to sell one, you can tell. I, I went to an estimate, and, and when I say authenticity, I went into an estimate the other day. I'm not perfect by any means. I overshared. I'm talking to the customer, told her how I used to be homeless when I was 18, and just this <laughs> stupid stuff that I should have never, never should have said. But yeah. and and you know when you there comes a point where when you say you say one thing and like you see the switch. Yeah, they just completely like, shut down. Yep. Suddenly it's like okay. I said something here and now she doesn't trust me. Probably talking about everything that you guys all get to hear about, you know, door to door magazine sales and homeless when I was 18 and just this stuff that your customers don't, don't care about. Don't want to know, don't share that stuff with them. Um, and I think a good policy, you know, that, that you've talked about is they should be talking most of the time. Mm-hmm. If you're talking more than they are, that's a bad sign. Um, but, uh, I mean, as far as authenticity goes, you know, I, I think a big part of it, like I, so I had a guy come and give me a quote for taking down a wall in my house and I didn't hire him. Um, and the reason I didn't hire him is because he didn't give me a quote for what I was asking him for. He gave me a quote for the project he wanted to do. Hmm. What did he want to do? 
Well, he wanted to come in and, and put a beam lower and, and uh, have this beam exposed and have a column in the middle. And, and I told him like, no, we're not doing that. We don't want, we don't want a column. We want the beam hidden if possible. If it's just not possible, then what are our options? And he didn't like, he didn't want to talk about our options. He wanted to talk about that. He had an idea that he thought would be the best thing. And he didn't want to deviate from that. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the day, it was like, okay, well, if you're not here to listen to what I want, then why would I hire you? You know, if you go through the drive through McDonald's and you're like, yeah, how much would it cost for a large order of fries? And they tell you, yeah, of course, a McFlurry is going to cost you $3.19. You're probably going to leave the drive through which is a hard thing to do. I don't know if you've ever wanted to back out of a drive through <laughs> before, but it is the biggest pain in the ass. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so like that's that's really important though because I think a lot of people do that, maybe not to that extreme, but they come in with this idea that they're going to push something onto the person. And being a good sales guy is being able to manip- like being being really pushy and pressuring that person to do what it is you want them to do, the highest ticket job whatever it is. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at is even with you talking someone out of stuff is you actually go in trying to help them and help them accomplish what it is that they're trying to accomplish, even if that means not even doing the project in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you really, you just have to be there for them. Um, yeah, I just, I, did your sales guys start out with that high of a sales rate? No. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us about this. Gosh, no. Where was he at? How did you get him to where he is now? Um, you know, it's funny because processes are so important in sales and, and, you know, the delivery of those processes is very important. Like, you know, I, I, I talked about authenticity and the authenticity is absolutely important because if you can't deliver those processes authentically, then it comes off as salesy. But if you're mm-hmm. not following those, those processes at all, then, then you're just not doing what's needed to make the sale. You know, you're not helping guide them to the decision and um, but, but anyhow, when I, so when I first brought Jake into sales, not, not you, Jake, my, my sales rep, Jake, yeah. um, when I first brought him into sales, he was having a really, really difficult time. He was having a hard time. Like he would go out and, and I know that, you know, people kind of go back and forth on the idea of closing, but, um, I, he was like, not, he wasn't even asking them to like schedule with us, like at all. And, um, I remember that we had gone on one estimate together and it just like went really, really well. And at the end it was like, okay, well, um, if you have any questions, just let me know, have a great day. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And, and I don't remember exactly how the situation was, but it was like, um, it didn't like, he had kind of structured it in a way to where it was like, it's too late. You can't go back and close now. Like you're going to, so when, when we do the follow-ups, you're going to have to close that because it's absolutely doable, but you're going to have to close that one through follow-up. And so he did his, his follow-up and, um, I think he like hadn't made any sales on the week. And I was like, all right, well, how many, how many uh, follow-ups do you have, um, that you haven't talked to? And he's like going down the list and he's like, I've got nine. And I'm like, dude, if you've got nine follow-ups, I guarantee you can probably close at least two of those, like bare minimum. And he was like, okay. I, and I think we went through him and he ended up closing like four or five, but the first one, like 
and, and of course, I obviously not all sales are this simple, but the first one was just like the most simple. It was like the, the, the estimate had gone so well. I, I told him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to call this woman and just ask her, do you have any questions that I can address right now? Or are you ready to get in the schedule? That's a, that's a one or the other question. Which one is it? And uh, he called her, he puts her on speakerphone. Hey, I think her name was Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, this is Jake with Desert Winds Painting. Um, you know, I, I know I sent over that estimate to you and I, I just wanted to see, do you have any questions for me that I can get answered for you right now? Or do you, do you want to go ahead and get in the schedule? And she said, you know, I don't have any questions. I think I want to go ahead and get in the schedule. And it like, it, it was that simple. And I'm like, you know, if you were to just like knock your estimates out of the park the way that you do, and then just ask them to schedule with you, you know, and of course there's, there's so many different ways you can deliver on closing, but, um, but it was just, it was like important. He didn't see the importance of the processes. You know, there were, there were other situations where, um, he just didn't understand the importance of the processes. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up doing some, he, like his sales were down and I don't remember exactly how low they were, but his sales had been down for a few weeks. And so we sat down and we just did a bunch of role-playing. We did a bunch of role playing. We went through the processes and then he, um, he went out and I think he closed like three sales that day. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was overnight, but it almost was overnight. Like he definitely had, like, he's, he's a good salesman mm-hmm. and he's a good salesman because he's a good guy and he's genuine and he, he wants to be there to help the customers and he actually cares. You know, he cares about our employees. He cares about the customers. He cares about everyone around him. And I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I I know Jake too. And I I think I see what you're saying. Why do you think so many people struggle? I think, you know, I I think they're thinking about it all wrong. Okay. I I think they're going in and it's, um, it's like, I, I would suspect that the people who are not good at sales probably have a hard time getting a date too. <laughs> oh it no! Just, it, I just I personal. Talk, 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 talk. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm so sorry, everybody. Um, but it's, Do you have a I, bad sales rate because you suck. Well, it's, <laughs> no one wants you. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't mean it that way. It's just. It's um. No, I know. I think there's um. I think that when you go into a situation like dating, like sales, like any situation where you have to, you, you've got to be charming, but you also have to be authentic. People have a pretty good bullshit radar. So like if you're going in and you're like trying to try, you're like following the processes, but you're not delivering them authentically, mm-hmm. um, that's going to come across pretty clearly to the person you're talking to. I agree. When it seems staged, seems scripted, Something like that. If you don't feel confident, I think confidence is like one of the biggest things. I think it's the thing that gets a lot of people is, uh, here's another thing. Like, would you hire your own company to paint your house? Do you want to talk about this? (laughs) You did this. Can we we please? The short answer is I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Sometimes. The short answer is sometimes. Now, when when I moved down to Albuquerque, I had hired my own company to paint my house to audit my processes and boy did we drop the ball it was rough 
it was stuff like our production manager came in and uh, he was like in the house. I wasn't, I wasn't present. I was specifically not present for any of it. They were dealing with my fiance, Risa. And like the, the production manager came in and was in the house and she was in a different room and he didn't take the time to talk to her. And then he left and like texted her and was like, now me, keep in mind, this guy's not with us anymore. But, um, mm. but, uh, he, he ended up texting her after he left and was like, Hey, I was just there, but I left. Everything's looking good. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. Gave her the update. And like that night I get home and she's like, I don't know why he didn't just come talk to me. I was like literally in the next room over. Keep in mind, right. like our house at the time is it like, it's like a 1200 square feet house. It wasn't a big house. Mm-hmm. It was like three steps away. Um, so there was that. Um, now, there was did he little... know that she was your fiance? Yeah. Okay. So he knew like the dynamic and everything like that. Yeah. They, they all knew. Um, I made it very clear. I think the, um, and I, he still I, dropped the ball. And he still dropped the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to get a good audit of our sales at that point as well, but it was a little bit trickier because like it's kind of hard to be authentic. Like it's it's hard to follow the process and be authentic and, and actually audit your sales when you know you're gonna make the sale no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and of course, like at this point, he had been to my house a bajillion times. Like he knows he knows me, he knows my house, he knows recess. So it was like there was no avoiding that. But I did have him ha- have him go through the process anyway, just so we could kind of get an idea. Um, the sales went fine. Um, the actual the uh, the management of the project was terrible. So mm. I mean, it was kind of a good thing. It gave us an opportunity to see where we needed to, what we needed to work on, and um, communication was a big part of it, which I've always believed. You know, if you look at our Google reviews, you'll see that a ton of them are. Yeah, they were so great. You know, they worked with our schedule and also the communication was fantastic. You know, it's stuff like that. And if you saw our, our SOP for communication, I've had people tell me very directly, no, that's way too over the top. That's not needed. And I'm like, right, you're right. It's not needed. But if you do this every time, you will never have any problems ever. And I'm speaking from someone who, when I was managing all the projects, I'll tell you, man, Managing the projects and scheduling was something I struggled with for probably a year and a half, maybe longer. And mm-hmm. once I figured it out, it was just like it clicked and it was like, all right, I've got this. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of segueing away from sales into, into production. That's okay. That's okay. But, um, you know, for starters, when you're talking to people, um, you should always um, prime them to like – Promise them a date that's later than when you're actually planning on producing it, but mm-hmm. prime every single person to move up in the schedule. And mm-hmm. so the way that we would do that is we would tell them tentatively, we're looking at the week of X date. However, talking up our painters here, our painters have really been knocking it out of the park lately. And so they're, they're doing such a great job. We'll probably be able to get you in sooner. If we can get you in sooner, is that something that you're open to? And 99% of people will say yes. And then when it comes time to, uh, to actually do their project, it's as simple as, and of course you should be calling every week, at least every Monday, you should be calling everyone in your projection. But when it comes to not currently everyone who is, if you're three months out, you're calling every single customer who's three months out. If they're three months, so four to six weeks, you should be calling every week past that. Um, I would say every other week, 
unless they tell you otherwise. Some customers mm. will say, hey, man, you don't need to call me every week. Yeah, like, just hit just, me up just touch a week before or whatever. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, if, if you're communicating too much, they will tell you. Like gotcha. every, every time. If they don't want to be talked to that often, they will tell you that. But chances are most of the people probably want to be talked to more often than that. Even mm. if the update is... You know, hey, Miss Jones, this is Chris with Desert Winds Painting. I just wanted to call to let you know that um, we don't have any changes. We're still tentatively scheduled for this date. Um, nothing has changed, but if anything does change, I'll let you know as soon as as soon as possible. You know, people love to hear that everything's on track. Yeah, just to, and that communication, just reaching out, um, shows that you're on top of stuff, and it builds that it builds that idea in their mind that if you're handling. You're, you haven't shown up for the job yet. And if you're handling their job so well already, how do you think the job's going to go? And their brain, right. like that's where a lot of people miss it, I think, is you know, I do really great at the work, at the job. It's like that's how many bad – I mean we do a lot of, of, of um, competitor research. And it's insane the amount of reviews that don't mention quality of work at all. Yeah, like the well, painting. Because that's, that's just the – that's the foot in the door. I mean, you're not in business. If, if you don't do good work, you've got no, no reason being in business. And if you do good, good work, I mean, congratulations. You get to like, play the game. Yeah, that's yeah. – yeah. Yeah, you get to play the game. Exactly. And if you walk into a restaurant and the food tastes, tastes terrible, you're not going to go back ever. They won't get any customers. So, I mean, it's – but like – but you don't go to a restaurant just for the food. You go for the ambiance. You go for the service. You know, you want your server to do a good job. You want it to, you know, you want to trust that there's no fingernails or hair in your food. You know, it's like, I mean, it can be the best dish you've ever had, but if you're almost done with the dish and there's a hair in it, like that's just gonna, I mean, some people it doesn't bother, but a fingernail will bother anybody. Right. You know, if yeah, you're almost uh, done with your yeah. dish, last bite and there's a fingernail in it, like that's just going to ruin the whole dish for you. It doesn't matter how tasty it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I think, um, and you know how strong we are on this stuff of like how many times we talk to contractors and it's like, okay, what are you guys good at? What sets you apart? Things like that. And they just start on mentioning things like quality communication, customer service, things like that. Or it's even things like, you know, we say we're going to, we're going to do what we say we do. Right. We always do what we say. It's like, that's, that's not necessarily that sets you, sets you apart. That's just what you have to do to play the game. Like your quality right. has to be good in order just to play the game. Like, of course you have to pick up the phone and call them. That's just to play the game, right? Yeah. And, but that's a lot of that stuff is too customer experience stuff that they can't really, like your communication is great, but we don't use that as a selling point. Right. You know what I mean? We, yeah. Now what we do do, and you guys are really smart about this, is you showcase that beforehand. And this was something we didn't get into yet. Um, yeah. Like, like you can't say, let's say we're doing an estimate and it's like, okay, why should I hire you over the next guy? And it's like, well, we're really great at communication. It's like, but your so far your sales process has been the exact same as the other guys. So it's just your word against his. And by the way, he also said his communication's good. Right. But then if you, if you hire desert winds, their communication profile up to before the estimate is significantly different from other people's. Do you want to kind of like dive into yeah, that a little absolutely. bit, but the point is show it, don't say it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, it's funny that you say that cause we don't talk about our communication at all. Mm-hmm. We do. Yeah. Um, you let but, it do the talking for you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we will actually, during our initial call, we'll make a couple of small promises. 
So the small promises that we make are sometime within X amount of days or between now and the estimate. You know, it, it depends on how you want to do it. But we might say, all right, our estimator is going to give you a call sometime in the next 48 hours to introduce himself and confirm your appointment. And so at that point, the estimator calls within that time frame and does just that. And then on that call, the estimator will make another promise. Yeah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a call the day of or shoot you a text the day of um, just to let you know that I'm on the way. And then when it comes time to do that, that's what you'll do. You know, and sometimes you can also throw other things in there as well. You know, when you're doing your, your introduction call, um, you can tell them, yeah, as soon as we get off the phone here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a link to our website, you know, our portfolio, some testimonials, that sort of thing. When you get off the phone, don't forget to do it because <laughs> they will be waiting and they'll notice. Oh yeah, he said he was going to send this to me and he never did. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you do those things, it, it just kind of shows that he does what he says he's going to do. Um, and, and also when you keep in communication like that, if you're running late, you can tell people. You can tell people that you're running late. Don't just show up late. And also, I mean, you should probably be, if you're going to be 15 minutes late, you probably shouldn't be telling people that five minutes before the time of the appointment. If you're going to be 15 minutes late, you should be telling them probably 20, 30 minutes ahead of time. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you're managing your time properly, you'll, you'll know that. As soon as you know. As know. soon as you know, yeah. you should be telling them. Yeah. And I understand that there, of course, you know, if, if you're like right down the street and there's an accident on the interstate and you're held up, then like, what can you do? But um, as a general rule, you know, my brother says, uh, you should be able to, you should plan enough time to be able to change a tire on your way to work or something, something like that. Hmm. Um, and, uh, he actually talks about a time where he did have to, he did have to change a tire on the way to work on the side of the interstate, uh, which is, which is funny because, you know, it doesn't happen to everybody, but, hmm. um, but absolutely if, um, if you're running late, most people are not offended if you're going to be five minutes late, as long as you tell them that. And if you're telling people, Hey, um, I'm going to be five minutes late and you're telling them that 20 minutes ahead of time, they see, okay, this guy knows how to manage his time. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but like most of the estimates you're going to, do you really know exactly where they're at? Or are you, are you using Google maps? Cause if you're, if you're using Google maps, it, it tells you, it's <laughs> like, it tell it's on there, you know? Um, so whatever time you had worked out with them, I mean, ideally be on time. You know, but I've, I've also won projects because, uh, um, because I, I, I was running late and I did tell them that I was running late ahead of time. You know, we had, we had one woman that hired us and she said, you know, I was just blown away that you were only going to be five minutes late. And you, and you told me that you were going to be five minutes late, 15 minutes ahead of time. And most people would just show up five minutes late and not say anything at all. Mm -hmm. You're building confidence. That you're right. going to do what you say you do, which is the number one thing that people lack when they're looking at making a hiring decision, especially for home service, is trust and confidence. So it's right. like you are you're giving them so many reasons to trust you before you even give the pitch. To where now it's like your competitors can pitch and say all they want that they're trustworthy. You've shown that you're trustworthy and that is completely different. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like the only way, if, you're, if your customer experience is really good, how do you use that as a selling point? The only way to do it is to have them experience your customer experience before they become a client. How do you do that? You want to put as much of that and reconstruct that into the very first part of 
the process. Did we talk about the just even how the phone is answered at first makes a huge impact? Was that you and I? May, we might have talked about it. You know, I, I've, I think I probably brought up how, uh, you know, whenever possible, I will answer the phone with the person's name. Yes. I remember you said that. So like they, they know that stuff. I think yeah. I was talking to someone about how we went through to hire a moving company. I've got three kids. It's just insane. We're not going to do that ourselves. Um, and we basically made the hiring decision based off of how the person answered the phone. And it wasn't like if they said the right thing or not. It was like one guy was obviously in a truck driving and made me feel like I was a nuisance or something like that. Like, you know, can you can get off the phone real fast? I'm busy, right? Right. And didn't feel like he had the time of day for me. And the next two, like, you know, don't even answer. Um, one of them has their voicemail box full. It's like, you know, fine. Um, you can tell they don't have their stuff. Like, what does that look like though? Like that person over there is like, well, you know, I didn't know that my vo- my voicemail box was full, but on my side, it's like, is it my job to tell you? You know, right. it just looks to me like you don't have your ducks in a row. You don't actually know, like your stuff isn't put together well. The company you ended up hiring was the best on the phone. They sat there for 30 minutes, answered our questions. You know, we have a lot of, um, my wife is an antiquer, so we have a lot of like, old furniture, like real old furniture, um, answered all of our questions. You know, what happens if this breaks? How do you guys prep this, et cetera, et cetera. We've never hired a moving company before and they were just so nice. And then sure enough, the experience on the phone was exactly the same experience we got. Right. Right. Amazing people is a is fantastic experience. We'd always do it again. But I think, and I think I was talking to someone, they actually talked about how they experienced the exact same thing, how that just, how you answer the phone is just such an important part. Even with our painting company before we sold it, I'll never forget our sales guy. I was in the room with our sales guy in there and he took, he got a phone call and he took it and he just said, this is Joel. And just paused. And it, it just said it in that way, like real contractory, you know, leaning back, this is Joel, you know? And I was like, dude, like, and he just paused and the person's like, is this XYZ painting? And he's like, yeah, what can I do for you? Right. And it's like, dude, that's, does that make sense? Like right. we need to be answering the phone in a particular way. Um, yeah. Yeah, and showcase, how can we showcase as much of our customer experience and condense it down into like the first few interactions? Because the first impression is so important. Right. Yeah. You know? And I think you guys have done that well. Go ahead. No, no, I, I actually wasn't going to say anything. I just, I, I agree. I agree 100%. I think you guys have done that really, really well. And that may also be what a lot of people don't look at in terms of it's like your sales rates, things like that. Like if it is your other guy is also a really good sales rate, that means it's probably a little more systematic than you may think. Right. You know what I mean, it may not be because you're just like a world-class sales guy and he's a world-class sales guy. It could be because there's other elements that are actually warming it up, warming it up and making it a little bit easier to close than what most people are doing. I, I think really authenticity is such a big part of it mm-hmm. because if, I mean, you can go in and pretend like you're there to care about the customer, but not actually care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the way that you conduct yourself is going to be different than if you actually care. Yeah. You're going to um, say yeah. things, do things differently. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not, it's not, uh, portray myself like I'm good with my time. It's actually be good with your time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, actually be a man of your word and, and, you know, be a, be a person of integrity. (sighs) 
there's a whole can of worms there. There is. There is a whole can of worms. (laughs) There's so many guys who have integrity as one of their values or what sets them apart. Yet I know because I've experienced (laughs) half the time that they do not have that integrity there, right? They'll have the integrity when it serves them, but when it comes to the hard things, there is none. One of our biggest competitors, our painting company, one of our biggest competitors was a company called Integrity Painting. Nice. That regularly (laughs) took advantage of people and was a terrible company to work for, right? We got in trouble because their painters were coming to us trying to get jobs. We actually got in trouble for that. It's a whole fiasco, right? But he like wouldn't pay painters. He would take advantage of people. Like it was like really, really bad. And they were called integrity painters. And it was like, okay. And since then I've had multiple experiences with other people who are like, Oh, our big thing is integrity. It's like you do integrity when it serves you. I don't think you actually know what integrity means. (laughs) You know what I mean? Anyway, I I don't want to go on to that, but yeah, no, I I think we could talk about that for probably two hours in itself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, authenticity really is is just such a big part of it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think about like, you know, you, you talked about how how this 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 company Integrity Painting was was taking advantage of their customers, and I think that that's something that a lot of people do, not even intentionally. You don't you don't view it as taking advantage of customers. But like, if you go in and you're thinking like, let me let me talk them out of painting this ceiling because that'll make the job easier for us, then that's taking advantage of the customer. Yes. You know, if you're talking them out of painting the ceiling because they don't because the ceiling doesn't need to be painted, it's going to go well with the new color. It looks clean. Every like, if it if it legitimately doesn't need to be done, and it's going to save them money, then then you're doing it for them. But if you're doing it because it's less work for you, um, or it makes it, in, it makes it into an easier project, which everyone knows, take the ceiling out and that makes the project so much easier. It really if, does. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's why you're doing it, then, then that's not for them. That's for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that, that one piece can like, it changes your delivery and how you conduct yourself. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I try to, I try to treat every customer as if they're like, my brother or my sister or my mom or a, a, a friend or, you know what I mean? Someone, someone that I actually care about. And it's, of course it's hard when it doesn't, when you just don't click, you know, you don't click with everybody. Sometimes you go yeah. in and, and people are um, skeptical, um, but really they've got every right to be. Yeah. You rightly know? so. Yeah. Especially when 99% of contractors, probably more are actually taking advantage of their customers even if it's in subtle ways like that. Yeah. Just the, the little pieces here and there. Yeah. So your part is higher. So like you're also hiring people who share those same characteristics. Yeah. I try to, it's, um, you don't win with all of them, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, I try to, um, it's the kind of thing where you just like, there's not really a way to tell you kind of have to put them in under the fire and then either they do or they don't. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think there are, there are always breakdowns with everyone. Um, whether it's mm-hmm. employees, subcontractors, customers, friends, family, it doesn't really matter. There's always breakdowns, but, um, it's, 
those things are almost an opportunity to be able to see how do they conduct themselves when there's an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember that very early on, um, I had, um, I, I think I've told you this story, but I had uh, my, my sales rep in Farmington. Um, he lied to me about something very early on. I don't remember the full story of, of what it was, but you know, I, I came to him very directly with it because I try to communicate as directly as possible. Um, and uh, he hasn't he hasn't lied to me since. No, that's not true. He, I think he has one. He, he lied to me one time. <laughs> one time more. One, one time. One time. <laughs> and it was it was uh, he he was going through some personal stuff, um, and that's not that's not something anywhere anyone wants to be in. But. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually, that's you know, I, I, I'm I'm actually going to kind of segue this into that for a minute because I know that it's not, uh, it's not really relevant to painting, but sure. Um, he uh, he, I talked to him yesterday, and uh, he told me that since he like stopped, so he he was going to therapy every week, mm-hmm. and he told me that he has been like exercising and taking care of himself and like just going to the gym and. I don't know if you saw he posted a picture of himself on facebook he's all fucking ripped and stuff it's ridiculous yeah. yeah uh which you know that's he is um but uh he said that that doing those things has been better for him than the therapy did at all yeah and that doesn't even surprise me yeah. um you know and it and it's interesting because he's um he's a really good guy he genuinely cares about our employees. He genuinely cares about our customers. And it's like I was saying a minute ago, how that when he's, when his life was falling apart and he couldn't get it under control, the way that he conducted himself at work with customers was different. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember where the phrase came from. I, I think it might've been an assignment cynic book or maybe some, maybe he was quoting somebody else, but someone says the way that you do, Oh, I, I think it's the way you do one thing is the way you do all things or something like that. Yep. How you do one thing is how you do everything. How you, yeah. how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. And, um, and I think that applies, you know, there, there isn't, there isn't a work me and a home me. There is just me and that's it. And when, when mentally I'm, I'm like falling apart and can't get it together, that's going to show through everywhere I go. And so I think you know, when he started seeing better results naturally, of course, when, when he started, you know, getting, getting his life together. Um, and, uh, lost my train of thought. I don't even remember where I was going with that. (laughs) Yeah. So he, um, your sales guy was, um, not doing well. And he, he posted recently. Um, and he told you that that stuff's done better for him than therapy. And just kind of like how he se- it seems like he's getting the rest of his life together, and how now yes. it seems to be impacting his, his right. stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so I now I, I remember where I was going mm-hmm. with it. I, I think you know something that I haven't done enough of, but I think I really need to do more of is making sure that my employees are able to take care of themselves. Mm. Yeah, and and of course that looks different for for everyone for for everyone you know different people, but. Um, my Jake will tell you if you were to ask him, I've talked a whole lot of shit to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like he, he knows, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask him like, Hey man, is your house clean? And he'll tell me, yeah, it is. Or no, it's not. Or, 
you know, I'll, I'll see him and I'll, I'll poke my head in his work van and I'm like, man, it looks like shit in here. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, we've, we've got a good, a good relationship and, and, a, and so that dynamic is kind of normal for us. Um, so he'll laugh, you know, he knows that it's all, it's, uh, it's all lighthearted. You know, I'm not trying to make him feel bad. I'm just poking fun to kind of like, Hey man, you know, let's clean this up a bit. Um, and, uh, he does, he does. Um, but I think it's important for really for everyone to be able to, to have the resources to take care of themselves. You know, I've actually talked about this with, with Risa before where, um, her boss pays her really well. Mm-hmm. Um, really well. She is probably the highest paid person I've ever known that was not a business owner. Okay. It's not to say that there aren't people who make more than her out there, but she but she makes good money. And um, but she also pours herself into the job fully. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think people can't pour themselves into their jobs when they are unable to take care of themselves. They just yeah. can't. You know, when you're stressed about home, how can you be focused on work? I've I've been there myself. You know, I when I was working my last nine to five job, I was in a very toxic relationship, and that relationship it didn't help. First off, that uh, the girl that I was dating also worked with me. Terrible, terrible Ouch. idea. Don't do that. <laughs> That's a great idea. What are you talking about? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, like. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you what, what could possibly go wrong. You, see, you get to see the worst of people. That's that's what really goes wrong. But, um, uh, but you know, when we were having issues, even if she hadn't, even if she didn't work with me, you know, because I, I would avoid her um, throughout the day. You know, the center that I worked in was big enough, and it was it was like we we had two very different jobs. So I wasn't. It's not like she was in my face all day. But when we didn't get along. I like that was looming in the back of my mind and the, the personal stuff made it really hard for me to do what I needed to do that day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's normal. I think that's normal for people. Like when you can't get your personal life under control, how can you get your work under control? Right. You know, your life isn't under control and work is just, it's a part of that. No, you're absolutely right. Um, that even happened to me earlier this week. Like the first two days was just like brutal. Yeah. Home, home wise. And, uh, yes, everyone's getting sick and like, it was just, it was bad. Right. Um, we have an eight month old. And so it was like, we had some stuff going on, but, um, like I, I didn't even come in cause I knew if I did, it was going to be like hell. Right. Um, and I think we, that's, so do you think that the majority of business owners have this mindset where, because they give everything to the business that their employees also have to do that? You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, and absolutely. that it, how do you, um, cause I agree. How do you, if you, if you recognize that's something that you're doing, how do we kind of move away from that? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, to start off with, I think it's, it, you have to accept that like, it's not their business. Mm-hmm. And if it's not their business, it's not their baby. Why would they give everything for it? Why would they? I mean, the last time, because every single, I'm pretty sure, I don't know a single entrepreneur that, that has never worked a nine to five job. That's not to say that it's never happened, but I mean, when I think back, like if someone had, 
if, if I had been working at a previous job and someone said, Hey, I want you to sacrifice all your personal relationships. I want you to give up time with your kid. I want you to, to, you know, pour yourself into this business and you'll have nothing to show from it, you know, mm-hmm. five years from now. Um, then I absolutely would. I just, I would have, I would have quit. Um, and so, you know, of course I know that like for my employees, like I envision that they all will have something to show from everything that they give. I mean, like my goal is for this to be their business. I don't have kids. I don't want kids. I don't, you know, like, like when, when I die, it would be nice if I could, if this business were going to my employees and their kids, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that they, I think they see that. And that's why they kind of push through when times are harder. Cause I mean, being, being a small business, it's not, it's not great all the time. Of course it's not. I, what do I you mean? Like, I know. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Even with big businesses, you know, like, um, Risa works for, she works for a national, uh, nursing home company and they have, they have homes all over the country. They also sell and close homes all the time. You know, and they buy new ones and they, and they close others. And I mean, that's just part of being in business, whether you're big or small, you know, I mean, to think that, that, and, and of course I could be wrong here cause I don't have a big business, but to think that once you become a big business, you can't fail or go bankrupt. That just, that's foolish. You know, yeah. I mean, lots of car companies have gone bankrupt, mm-hmm. you know, um, more money, more problems. More money, more problems. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's one of those things that like it never, I think, you know, having to, obviously it does get easier, you know what I mean? But, um, mm. but it doesn't, it doesn't ever go away. You know, obviously I know that like, for, for example, you know, if I'm, if I'm producing a million a year, I want my marketing spend to be 10% or less. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but for that second million, it can be a little higher and that third million, it can be a little higher and that fourth million, it can be a little higher. You know, if you're spending, if you're spending 20% on marketing, um, for a million dollars, but that, but you're producing $25 million a year, well, that's, that's okay. Right. At least I would think, of course, I, I'm not producing $25 million a year, so I can't, can't say for sure, but that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, you know, it makes sense why the bigger you get, the, you can actually start to lower your prices more. Yes. Because We've actually looked at this with a few clients. Yeah. There is a point in which costs, uh, so it's called, um, oh shoot, Effic- uh, efficiencies of volume, um, something like that. It's called uh, something like that. But there's a point in which you can actually become incredibly profitable off of a much lower price at a certain size. For right. him, we actually found it was the difference between 10 painters and 15 painters was a world of difference. At yeah. 10 painters, he wasn't making anything. He was losing money. At 15 painters, cost jobbing through, he was at something like 16% net margin. Wow. And the more painters you go up, the, the higher the, the margin goes up. And that's, an ex, that, that's at a significantly reduced rate, um, which I think yeah. put him around 2.5 million at 15 painters at a 15% net margin. And the price, though, is just so low, right? you can that's that's one of the reasons why the big guys get away with what they do is because they can actually afford to lower their price right and there is a point in which volume is important yeah 
I think the hardest part with painting is actually that 500 to a million because yeah. that's when everything's working against you the most. You're spending the most money on everything. It feels like yeah. it percentage wise. But the thing is, is after like between one and 2 million, things kind of start to calm down. And then after 2 million, your flat costs pretty much stop going up and right. everything becomes profit after that. Um, yeah. it's, it's almost like I would rather with a painting company, I would rather be like 500 K doing everything myself and have a get paid really well for a job basically, or be, or be at two to 3 million where you're making the most and you have a team in place. And that's really where the bit, the true business ownership, like yeah. the real rewards for it really starts to kick in at that point. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, a really good point. I think that mm-hmm. 500 to a million mark definitely is, that's a hard step. Yeah. <laughs> you actually will probably make less money than, than you did at 500 K or like, you know, 400, 500 K as the owner, you'll probably make less money between five and, and a million than you did right at the 500 or lower. And it's almost yeah. like you have to kind of choose and like that tipping point you have to tip over. Well, of course, and it's because in order to in order to hit that tipping point, you know, you you have to start to you have to start to hire positions. For example, like a production manager or a sales rep or an office mm-hmm. manager that you didn't necessarily have before, but you're you also still can't quite afford it, but you do it anyway. Yep, because you don't have all the time to do it. So we saw this with Swift. He has always his acquisition has always been way outdoing his production ability. So yeah. he's always been able to outsell whatever he could actually produce, which is a really great position to be in. But it is. He was producing eight hundred thousand dollars as the sole project manager and the sole sales guy. He that like, is above physic- physically could not do more, right? And then yeah. last year I think he was at something like one point five ish, still as a sales as, as the sole sales guy. He's brought in a project manager. And we've yeah. identified he could have he could have done way more. He was just the sole sales guy. At 1.5 and managing the business, that's pretty – for a 24-year-old, that's pretty dang good. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You bring in a sales guy, he should be able to hit 2 to 3 million pretty easily. You know? Yeah. It's just finding those people. How are you going about finding those people? I don't know if you have anything else you want to cover on that topic before we kind of move on. Yeah, yeah. I'll touch on it briefly. But I, I think sure. that um, – yeah, that 800,000 mark was – for me, that was about the tipping point as well. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, okay, I can't really go higher than this um, without hiring somebody. And I hired a sales rep first, which is not recommended by anybody, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. um, and I only, I really only did it because I had, I had Jake, who was, you know, he was a painter for me, and I knew that he was going to be good in sales, and um, and he wasn't right away, you know, like we talked about, but he, he definitely. He's shown quite a bit of improvement. Um, and so, um, yeah, it made sense for me. I think the majority of people it doesn't make sense for, but it did make sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that really, that's all I was going to say on that, on that point. But what was, what was the next? How are you finding good people? Oh, yes. Because that's the hardest part. Even, even Swift, he went through three or four project managers before he found someone who worked. And like you... Oh, that's so interesting. You know who his project manager is now? His uh, content creator? His media guy. Interesting. Part-time. He's a part-time wow. media guy and part-time project manager. 
That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? And he's done the best job of everybody so far. Even people, he's even hired people with prior experience. How funny. Yeah, I've hired people with prior experience too, and it doesn't. Honestly, I mean, and, and of course we've, we've talked about this type of thing before. I think it's more character over experience every day of the week, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, uh, I mean, you could throw me in a job that I've never done before and I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, how I'm finding my people, a lot of my people I find from, uh, referrals, referrals from my existing people. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I mean, that definitely has its drawbacks for sure, because when it doesn't work out, then it's kind of like, it's a double-edged sword, I find, because it's hard to like let people go, um, especially when like, let's say, for example, we had a painter that works mm-hmm. with us, um, who's really good friends and still is with our sales rep. And uh, we ended up letting the guy go. Um, and on the one hand, I think it's good because like, I think it's, I think it's bad because of, you know, it's, it's hard to like, you have to work on maintaining the relationship with the person that's staying. But on the other side of things, if you can successfully do that, then you, there's like no animosity between you and your former employees. Right. Which is nice because like, I don't think that we have a single, no, we maybe have one person, one person that, that we've let go of that wouldn't come back given the opportunity. Hmm. And we fired a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've had people that worked with us um, at one point that we fired um, or they quit for, for one reason or another, and they're now subcontracting for us and doing a great job. I might add. So you, you fired them must not have been for a quality issue. If they're still like subcontracting for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have anyone like that right now, but we have had people like that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a guy that like just wouldn't, he didn't want to, he was coming in late. He was, uh, sometimes he wouldn't show up, but he like communicated better as a subcontractor than he did, did as an employee. And I don't know if it was like an authority thing or, or what was going on there, but as a sub, he did great. Um, and then of course, you know, there, there have been, um, I've fired people and, um, then, you know, I've never fired somebody and regretted it, but I have had, I said, I fired people, but I've never regretted firing someone, but I have had people who quit and I didn't handle it as well as I should have. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I've ended up reaching out to those people. Like we had a guy who quit at one point and I didn't handle it well. And, um, I ended up reaching out to him and just apologizing. And like, hey man, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I handled it this way. Hindsight, I should have been more patient with you in this this aspect and this. And, and um, that particular guy that I have in mind right now is actually subbing for us uh, currently, and he has the potential to pr- produce fifteen to twenty thousand a week. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right. So um, that's a big asset. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, so I think humility definitely goes a long way there, but. Um, mm. None of that really directly answered your question, except for the referral part. Um, we have <laughs> hired people through um, Facebook. We have hired people through Indeed. Um, I found that Indeed has offered um, higher caliber candidates than Facebook. Agreed. 
Um, and part of it is uh, being very intentional about the wording of your, your ads, hmm. um, which is interesting. You wouldn't think it would make that big of a difference, but it, it does. It does. You know, we posted two hiring ads for a sales rep and um, we ended up hiring a guy that I wish I hadn't hired. <laughs> but, um, but we got, I mean, just the caliber of candidates was massively different from one, from one hiring ad to the next. What do you think was the biggest wording part? Was it the headline? Was it the, like it was the a lot. It was, description? Uh, both. It was both okay. actually. So the headline we changed, like one of them, I think just said like sales representative slash mm -hmm. estimator, maybe something like that. Um, and then the other said like, um, sales representative, um, salary plus bonuses, plus, uh, benefits plus growth, you know, like it, it was like the headline was, it was a very different headline. And the second headline it, combined with the, with the second description, um, we kind of re reworded the description in some areas, like moved pieces around, like, you know, the about us piece was like closer to the bottom. Whereas like what we have to offer was closer to the top. And, um, the, uh, the quality of candidates that we, that we got was very different. Um, mm, so very benefit driven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes sense when I think about it. Cause like, if I'm looking, if I'm looking for a job, I'm going to look for the job that is the better job. I'm not going to yeah. look for the job. That's like looking for me. I don't care what they're looking for. I care what I'm looking for. Yeah. It's marketing. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. You marketed it better the second right. time around. Yeah. You got better quality. Uh -huh. There's something to pull from that. There is. It was, you know, I think <laughs> hindsight, I wish I had, I had um, been slower moving through the process, higher slow. Mm. And I didn't. Would you have done multiple more interviews, different questions? What did you find? Both. I would have, I would have. Um, I would have done more interviews and I did, I did do a few interviews. Um, I did do lots. I mean, there was a ton of questions. Um, the guy that I hired, he actually interviewed really well. Um, but I think where, where I really fell short was I, the only reference that I did not call was his past employer, which uh, obviously sounds stupid, but um, it was because he had a letter of recommendation from them. And I was like, okay, well, if he brought me this letter of recommendation, then like, they're, they're probably just going to tell me what's on the letter. Mm -hmm. Um, and funny thing, this is actually the same guy who shopped us last week that I went and brought donuts to really same, okay. yeah, same guy. And, and so I ended up talking to him about, about it then. And he was like, I told him, yeah, we had this guy come work for us. And, and Mike was like, yeah, I could have told you how that was going to play out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but anyhow, um, I mean, hindsight, I definitely would do more interviews. I would, I would plan it out and not would I'm going to, cause this is how I'm going to be hiring our next sales rep in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. I will be sitting down and planning it all out, um, much more in depth ahead of time so that I'm ready to just like post the ad and then be calling people and just running through the steps pretty seamlessly instead of like the last time I kind of. I posted the ad and then I had all these applicants and I was like, okay, now I'm going to sort through them. And as I'm sorting through that, you know what I mean? I was kind of like winging it as I went. Um, 
and I, w- I was trying to follow a process um, that was actually shared by Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But I, I think that I didn't understand that particular process well enough before actually trying to implement it um, to do it properly. Um, but I definitely will be hiring or in interviewing more people, um, at least initial interviews. Um, and I'm definitely going to slow down, slow down, take your time with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, slow down more so with the planning than anything else, I think. Okay. So are you, when you're planning it out, are you talking about maybe setting aside a time, like putting time blocks and you're like, okay, I'm going to spend three hours on just hiring this week and you have it scheduled in. Yeah. Is that what you're kind of talking about instead of just like, Oh, I remember I got a bunch of applicants in. I'm going to kind of scroll through real fast. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know. Like I think I'm going to, and, and I, of course I've got numbers from the last time I posted an ad. So I can kind of like refer back to that and figure out, well, how many applicants can I expect to get? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that'll help. Um, but yes, yeah. Just planning my time better. Um, making sure that I understand exactly how I'm going to conduct the interviews before I go to, before I actually do them, mm-hmm. you know? So like, you know, reviewing interview questions and making sure that it, it can be as seamless as possible. Yeah. Are there any I, questions that you found you might take out or add in the next time around you go? You know, nothing that I can think of offhand, but I'm sure that there probably are. Okay. Maybe we'll dive onto the, dive into that in our next one. Um, it looks like we've been on for like going on two hours, so I think we're gonna go ahead and <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna get out of here. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really appreciate you being here. Are there any other things that we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about before we hop off? Well, not that we I hit a lot of stuff. <laughs> What's that? We hit a lot of things. I know, and we could keep going too. I'm like, I, we totally yeah. could. I know. Yeah, I don't know how you're doing on time. I actually, I've got about another 15 minutes, but I definitely, I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert in hiring by any means. Um, it's something that I'm working on. I definitely, I definitely know. I definitely know that I fall short there. On the hiring uh, bit. On the hiring, yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, hiring. No, maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's interviewing, (laughs) (laughs) interviewing. Um, like I think when I know someone, I have an idea of like, okay, they would be good here. They would be good there. They wouldn't be good here, but taking strangers, um, especially in an interview setting, I think is, is very different. Um, because people are giving you the version of themselves that they think you want to see. Okay. You know? So I think that that may, and, and that, I think that's different for me in this, in this respect, because I think I do just fine with, with interviewing painters. Mm-hmm. I think I can, I think I can find good painters. Um, I know that in my last job, um, I interviewed tons and tons of people and I had, like, I got good at interviewing people for that job. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that this is just it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? I haven't hired I haven't successfully hired that many production managers for sure. One of which is my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't successfully hired many sales reps. I mean, really the one sales rep that I have, I think is, uh, it's because I, you know, he was a painter. 
he was a painter for me and uh, I ended up pulling him into sales because I could tell that he would be better there. Right. And I was he right. He wasn't a good painter. <laughs> he wasn't a good painter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I was right there, but. Um, yeah. Interviewing for entry level positions is usually completely different from interviewing for management positions. Yeah. If, if there aren't, which project management would be a management position for me? Um, I would always do at least two. Um, but what I found is that for the management positions, the interview should be less question, more situation based. Such as we had this thing happen. You're put under this situation. Walk me through how you would do it, how you would approach it. Right. Right. And they should have like 15 different situations, everything from customer service to handling other employees to, you know, you, you pull up to a job site and the second you pull up, you see a bunch of painters, you know, run back into the house. You can tell that they were probably just chilling outside, you know, on a, on a thing. What's, what's your next steps? What are you going to do? And looking at, you know, kind of that thing, they might ask some questions, whatever you're, but you're like, you're not allowed to like really give too much stuff there. Um, you're also not going to settle for any outs such as I would do whatever I was trained to do. Like you're, you're not going to settle for those, right? It's going to be like, I'd run in, you know, I, what does that make sense? Like really kind of looking at that, yes. not necessarily even looking at how they like the answer to it, but looking at how they process the answer to it. You know, it's interesting that you say that because that's, that's actually very similar to how I used to interview people in the last nine to five job that I had, it was, um, you know, I was, I was the maintenance director and I was hiring maintenance assistants Mm -hmm. and it was very, that was very similar to how I didn't care what knowledge they had. I cared how they went about problem solving. Yes. As a manager, that's the most important skill in my opinion, decision-making. How are you processing these situations? Are you shutting down? Right. Are you fine? Someone who's been in that situation before will be like, well, obviously I would do this. And that's completely different from someone being like, um, uh, you know, I, uh, you know what I mean? They're just like, they've never even fathomed that thing happening before. How are they handling that? Rather right. than entry level stuff, it's very much more like question answer. You pretty much know if you're going to hire someone entry level within the first minute of meeting them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But for management, it's, it's, it's much different. I found, um, I'm interested to know though, and to see how the process works on your next round. Definitely. Yeah. I'll have to share that with you for sure. Yeah. Plus a lot of guys like this is interesting too. Cause a lot of guys started businesses cause they weren't successful in nine to fives. Yeah. I got a ton you know? of promotions in my last job. <laughs> Me too, right? Like I always rose up through the ranks, but there's a lot of guys who start businesses because they hated their last job or, you know, there's some issue with authority or something like that. And I think that that does have a little bit of, it can have positives and negatives. One of the negatives could be that they don't necessarily know how to spot good employees. You know what I mean? I think that how you do one thing is how you do everything. How you do everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I would agree. <laughs> if I, yeah, just saying, you know, I had a really good, um, I had a really, it's, it's, it doesn't sound good, but I actually thought it was a really good interview question when 
when I was working my last job, it was, mm-hmm. um, I would ask people, um, like things like, um, like what's your favorite restaurant? Yes. And then they would tell me and I would say, okay, can you give me directions there from here? Mm-hmm. And like see, and, and of course at the time I knew the town pretty well. So like it was, it was like, okay, well, are they able to, to properly articulate directions? Um, how detailed oh, are they in the directions? Mm-hmm. And do they like, do they just take the easiest route or do they take the fastest route? Or like, how do they go about getting there from here? And of course it was a small town. So like, it wasn't it, like here in Albuquerque, that might be a little bit different. Cause it's like, Oh, my favorite restaurants, like way on the other side of town, you have to mm-hmm. drive through tons of traffic to get there. But in Farmington, it was like, it, like there's like one main street and it's like, everything's on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I would pay a lot of attention to like how they gave directions. And that was I think actually, that's actually really great. That was a really great exercise. Yeah, it was, it was. Um, and it was nice because I got to see, um, I actually did, I, I did something kind of similar with my guys that I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reasoning for it was, was multifold, but but part of the reason was I wanted to see, so I had them log what they what they did for work um, for two weeks. And mm-hmm. I wanted to see um, who, I was looking for a few things. I wanted to see like, who's gonna send me these logs without me having to ask for it? Um, when are they gonna send them to me? Are they gonna send me like a week's worth of logs at the end of the week? Are they gonna send me the day's logs every day? How detailed are the logs? Um, are they logging things just to get credit for doing something, mm-hmm. which is something that I did see, which I thought was very interesting. Cause it's, I'm pretty lenient. I'm not like, Hey, you need to use every minute of the day. You know, that's not, that's not really how I am. Um, but it's interesting. And, uh, what, what I do, what I did notice from that exercise was I noticed that Mondo actually gave me the most detailed logs turned them in every day, didn't have to ask for them. He was the most detail oriented with those logs. Um, and I think part of that is because he, he does have a lot of attention to detail. And I also, I also think that part of it was he was a little resentful of having to do it in the first place. So it was almost kind of, <laughs> kind of, a, kind of a spite, spite on Chris thing. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, I, I thought that was very interesting because it was, um, at the time he wasn't my production manager. Um, and at the time, the person that I was getting the, um, the least detailed logs from was our production manager. He was like, he was yeah. missing days and it was, and it was interesting cause it, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed the same thing. We actually used to have a system here where our employees would, would track what they're doing every day. And Dan had the most detailed of everybody. Every single time block in the day was perfectly laid out. Everything like it was more digital for us. It was an ongoing thing because we were wanting to track time for how how long things took. It wasn't because we were right. It's multifold. Yeah, there's lots of reasons. It wasn't because we were trying to make sure you're working the entire time. It was trying to see okay if this thing takes this amount of time, right? Do we have that in the SOP that it's supposed to take that amount of time? Things like that. Take an average right. out, things like that. Job costing through. Um, but we also noticed that same exact thing. I think you're, you're talking about a few different things too. Plus I'm new to this town. I could tell you my favorite restaurant. I couldn't tell you how to get there. Um, number one, 
for me, I'm like, man, I'm bad at giving directions. Just, <laughs> I already know that. I know it because you could ask me that question in an interview and I probably wouldn't be able to tell you how to get to my favorite restaurant. I just well, use GPS everywhere. You know what I mean? But you could always substitute that with some other directions thing, but I'm not good at giving directions. Now, I don't think I have to be where I am, but does that make sense? Like for someone that is managing someone on a day-to-day basis, that is a skill set that's needed. And that's, it's like, but that's the same thing where it's like, okay, maybe your sales guy doesn't necessarily need to have that down, but your project manager probably should. Your sales right. guy should probably do well in a different situational test than your project manager does. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, maybe I with a sales guy, I may do some more impromptu things, something like that, see how well they are on the fly. Put them in – also uh, for, for sales is putting them in uncomfortable situations where they're thrown off. Yes. Right? Yeah. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, – you know, I, I feel like I really enjoy project management. Mm-hmm. I love it. I used to hate it. I did not like it at first. I thought, like I mentioned earlier, I, I mean, the scheduling for it was just, it was a nightmare. And it's, it's funny because once I figured it out, I try to share that with everybody now. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, this is how you need to schedule things. So we would, you know, I, I kind of went into it a little bit earlier, but we would schedule Um, so we'll schedule, like, let's say for example, if we have three working crews, um, we'll schedule two projects a week and then we prime everyone up or we prime everyone to, to be ready to bump up. Mm -hmm. And so then not only are you, um, like you have the freedom and the wiggle room if you do happen to be falling behind, but you also like, you have a happy customer who's excited to be bumped up every single week. Yeah, you're surprising and delighting your customers while also making a better system on the back end. Yes. That's really good. And systematic. Yeah. 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 And it took me it, it took me like a year and a half to come to that. That's a great system. You guys should definitely anyone's listening, definitely steal that system of reiterating it was creating the system around uh putting uh, someone's job a, like a week ahead, two weeks ahead. With the intention of, I know I'm going to call you to say that you can bring it forward and letting them know that in the beginning, if they would be okay, moving it forward. Most people are. Yeah. And the and wording of it is forward. intentional as well. Yes. Do you want so, to cover I mean, that again? Yeah. So the way that we word it is, um, we'll tell them, you know, we will very likely be able to bump you up. If we can, are you willing to? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just as simple as that. If we can do it, will you do it? And, and they'll all say yes. And then when it comes to it, it's as simple as, hey, good news, we can bump you up. And then they're like, okay, great. And um, then you, yeah, you move it up right to when you need that. Like, that's also great because if a project goes over, that's phenomenal because you either just bump them up a little bit different time than normal or you don't bump them up at all and you have an extended amount of time you can handle issues. That's actually a really, really great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it is, I mean, it's all communication. You know I mean? If, if you, if you've got someone scheduled the next week, but you know, you're going to be done with your projects on Tuesday, mm-hmm. you can call them on Monday and say, Hey, it looks like we might be done on Tuesday. If we're done on Tuesday, can we start your project on Wednesday? Mm-hmm. And they'll say yes. And then on Tuesday, Hey, you know, it looks like we're not quite going to be done on Tuesday, but it looks like we'll be able to get over there on Thursday. 
you know, and then they're not they're not offended because you're still bumping them up. And um, then you know what your reputation becomes? They always get stuff done earlier than they say. Exactly. Our painters are always knocking it out. They're knocking it out of the park. Those used to be my exact words. Yeah, our guys are really knocking it out of the park right now. Even if they were doing a shitty job, I would still tell our customers <laughs> that. They're really knocking it out of the park. So right many now. issues. They're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and it's good because it's, it was good for my perception of our painters as well. You know, they will perform how you treat them and um, like the, the you will treat them how you perceive them and they'll perform how you treat them. So if you can kind of, if they're doing poorly and you can kind of like influence your perception mm-hmm. of like, no, no, they're capable of doing well. Let's talk as if they're doing well and just kind of talk them into it, you know, and they will do well. Almost being their cheerleader uh, instead of trying to be yeah. that voice that's wrap yeah, on them or something like that yeah yeah especially because i think most good employees they have that voice internally agreed. they don't need to hear it from the outside they know when they're doing a shitty job agreed yeah um but you know what's interesting and what led me to wanting to um focus so hard on scheduling was prior to doing that our reschedule cancellation rate was 100 percent if we had to reschedule somebody, um, 100% of them would cancel. And so it was like, no, we need to make sure that we are on time because if we have to reschedule, they will cancel. So you, you sell a project and then if you had to reschedule that project for one thing or another, you would always lose the project. Yes. Prior, prior to doing it. Well, like prior I said, I was, in the beginning, I was terrible at it. I was terrible at the scheduling. I was terrible at project management. Hmm. And once I started doing that, it was like, Although there was, there was one time and it's one time out of several hundred. So, you know, give me a break here, but, (laughs) but, but there was one time that I called someone and since I had primed her to to bump up, she was like a little disappointed that I didn't call to bump her up. She was like, Uh, Oh, I was hoping you were calling to, to tell me you could get it done early. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. No, but we're still on track for the date we originally said. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I mean, she wasn't upset. The project went well and she was happy with everything, but mm-hmm. yeah. So there was one time that it didn't, uh, didn't quite play out exactly the way I'd hoped. But, um, I mean, all the other times, you know, you're bumping up people left and right. Everyone's getting their projects done early, which means that you're also primed to be able to produce whatever you have sold. You know, you can mm-hmm. always be at max production every week because everyone's ready to bump up. Right. It's not like you finished early on a Tuesday and now the guys are off until next Monday when the next project is. You just, they're already primed and ready. You just move them up and fill out that week. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so it's like, let's say, for example, if you schedule four weeks out and you've got two projects scheduled per week, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but you have three crews, you can knock out the projects in week one and there's still time. So you might take the projects from week four and move them up. And then suddenly you're three weeks out instead of four weeks out. Right. You know, because it's also, it's easier to sell. The sooner you can get it done, the easier it is to sell as well. And if you're trying to sell projects for 12 weeks out versus four weeks out, one is easier than the other for most people anyway. How much are you finding that because you guys, and that's not a very, um, that's where we see the more businessy, the more business acclimated uh, painting companies uh, specifically 
are going for shorter times, the more contractory comes from doing it themselves, things like that. They really want to be booked out for months and months. Um, how much do you think that that has lent towards your sales rate, being able to get into jobs a couple weeks out? That is a good question. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's had an impact, but I, I don't, I haven't done anything to measure it. Okay. Are you finding that that's a point in which a lot of people are interested in moving forward? Oh, like also yeah. looking at other competition, if the competition's going to be months and months out, right? Cause they're proud of it. Right. Cause it, there's even like a, a, a conception going around that your contractor should be months out or else they're a bad contractor. You know what there I mean? Is. Yeah, I do. And it's I so do. great. Cause the big guys have figured out they make the most money being actually shorter out and because and then people don't like we talked about the quality. Look, when they're hiring a contractor, they're already assuming that they're going to get the best product. They're yeah. not going to intentionally hire someone knowing that they're getting an inferior product. Right. Of course not. You know what I mean? Like that's just the, the price to play the game. So from here really just does become customer experience and that streamlinedness. Do you feel like even just feeling, do you feel like that has lent towards winning more jobs over competition? Yes. Is that something you guys are pressing in the sales um, meeting? Like, hey, we can get you started in three weeks, right? Are you guys really pressing that point or is it kind of coming up after the fact? It's kind of coming up after the fact. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you're talking about how like some of the smaller contractor type guys will, um, you know, they, they almost view it as a point of pride being months mm -hmm. out. Um, I think that you're absolutely right on that to the extent that I think they lie about how far out they are. They do. Absolutely. Because it makes things tough. But yeah, I'm booked out all the way until November. Yep. And it's like, all right, well, it's good luck with that. <laughs> Right. It's like there's other guys where the second they hit like six weeks out, they're bringing on new crews. Like they're freaking out. It's really interesting because we, we get a lot of calls from a lot of people on both tiny, 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 one guy and a helper to huge. Right. And it's interesting because the huge guys will freak out when they're two months out because they're leaving money on the table. The small guys freak out when they hit three months out because their safety net is disappearing. Yeah. Like it's really interesting how that kind of dynamic works. Maybe something we could dive into on our next episode. I, I, I don't know. I don't see the time, um, how much time we got left, but, um, I, yeah, I probably should hop off. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine, man. We've been, we've been talking for a long time. So thank you so much for your time. Of course we'll have you on again. We'll probably do more um, part of our solid series. We'll probably dive into a particular topic or two and just go really, really deep on it. I'm sure yeah. we have a lot of questions. Um, we'll make sure we actually prep that episode so we have some questions, things like that that people can dive into. And uh, yeah, Chris, thank you so much awesome. for hopping on. Um, did you want to yeah, share anything, I, point people towards anything, you got anything going on? Um, no, I think, I think uh, we pretty <laughs> much covered everything. We said a lot of stuff in, in, in the podcast. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, remember integrity, dot, dot, dot. And uh, how you do one thing is how you do everything. <laughs> if someone wants to get in contact with you, have questions for anything like that, how can they how can they uh, reach out to you? Uh, really, however you want. You can send me an email, desertwindspaintandrepair at gmail.com or have coffee with chris at gmail.com 
or you can call me or text me, 505-716-0682. Pretty open book over here. So yeah, if I don't want to take your call, I won't answer. You're that, get not, not that it's personal, I just won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. understand. Awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for being on. Um, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.